0: friends, I'm Molly, your host today and want to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, training and outreach. And it's super fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles and also taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course. And then we have tons and tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it really means to follow Jesus in these three areas. So I'm super excited because joining me today, as per usual, is our co-founder, vice president and Bible geek, Sandy Orchard. Hello. Woohoo. And you guys, I'm really, I'm really excited um, about today's talk specifically because we're going to be looking at John chapter
1: 1. What a great story.
0: It's a great story. So this is also known as the woman at the well. And just on a personal note, this story is so near and dear to my heart. And I know that in my walk throughout this restoration process, and coming to know boundaries that this is really the story. This is really the story that brought me a lot of freedom on a personal level. And I know that if it can do it in me, then it can do it in anyone. It's a beautiful story and it's a beautiful message. So we're super excited. So to kind of like kick us off, Sandy, can you just kind of set up a little bit of context? Because I know that um, there's a lot to unpack in this story.
1: Yeah. So there really is a lot to unpack in this story. And so it is actually, along with Molly, it's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And there's, there's a lot going on as far as context as history and the culture and uh, the Jewish world at the time that it was written. That a lot we just just flat out miss because of the world that we currently live in. I mean, it's two thousand years ago, and so um, it's kind of like a big giant time warp to go back and look at the stuff in the Bible. And so, at that time, first of all, we're, it's it the the woman at the well story is set in Samaria. Um, Samaria is a, a a part of Israel that historically, like before Jesus even came onto the scene, had a lot of history to it, where the Jewish people of that area uh, intermarried with non-Jewish people, which was highly oh. forbidden. Yeah, uh, with according to Jewish law, and so they would they were kind of like like a Jewish person who followed the Torah uh, faithfully, um, observant to all the laws, would look at somebody from Samaria as kind of like. Um, like there was huge racial divide sort of thing. Like they were, the Samaritans were considered unclean and impure, like a half-breed sort of person. Wow! And there was all sorts of of discrimination that went on from that. And so you'll, you'll kind of pick up on that in the story. An observant Jewish person would go far out of their way to not go through Samaria. Mm. And so as the story goes, you know, you'll read, we'll read the story about how Jesus went through there. And that was, like incredibly unusual, like an observant Jew, and and Jesus at the time was considered sort of like a rabbi. For him to actually go through Samaria was like unheard of. You, you, a like good Jewish boy would never do that sort of thing. Right. And then on top of that, he talks like as the story progresses, he talks to a woman, and the the thing about um, women in the Jewish day, and so there's various historical um, documents that talks about the role of women, but there's been a lot of research and it really shows that at that time, women were considered second-class citizens mm. and they had like zero rights. I mean, a woman could not buy or sell property. They, they couldn't be educated past a certain age. Um, they, uh, they were for, forbidden to speak in public. They, they, a lot of times had to be, you know, fully clothed from head to foot uh, depending on where you were in Israel, but they were required to be separate from the men. A lot of times mm-hmm. they couldn't eat in the same room. And um, marriages were always arranged at that time. And so they, you know, the the woman, um, as she was given over to marriage, just kind of hoped that she was being uh, arranged in marriage to somebody that would be good for her, wow. good to her. And so... Um, So women just flat out didn't have a lot of rights and it was basically living in a man's world. And so for a woman, like, let's just say like she was married and her husband died. And if she didn't have relatives in the area to, for her to move back into what, like what should happen is she would move back into her family home, like where her parents are. But for whatever reason, like especially if you read the in the book, in the Bible, the book of Ruth, mm-hmm. she didn't have a relative to move in back with. And so the problem with that is because they lived, you know, it's a man's world. And so if a woman couldn't be taken care of by a man, like a husband or a father or a brother or relative, then, I mean, man, she was like way out of luck. Yeah. I mean, she had to do some, she probably would have to do some very questionable things to provide income for herself or her her children, especially if she had uh, children to take care of. And so it was really hard. It was hard to be a woman uh, during that time. And so let's just say a woman did get married um, to a man the way the Jewish laws were written at the time, encouraged if a man wanted to get divorced from uh, the woman he was married to, for whatever reason, he could. And it would be very simple and it'd be very quick, but it was not reciprocal. If a woman wanted to get divorced from her from her husband, that just wasn't allowed. Wow! So, um, so the whole story is is going to be, and we'll be reading it. Well, the whole story is going to revolve around this interaction between Jesus, the man, the Jewish man, who's also a, like a rabbi, teacher, prophet, as he encounters this woman from this unclean area, who's a second class citizen,s and all the little. Um, the difficulties that she is, the world that she's living in. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good story. And one line that kind of, um, not in the story, but like in historical documents that kind of um, show how far down uh, down the hierarchy women are is there was a, a Jewish rabbi hundreds of years ago that said he would he would rather cross the street than even be on the street with a woman. Wow. I mean, it was just some pretty bad discrimination against women all the the way around. Yeah. So um, so why don't we just go ahead and uh, read the story, and uh, it's going to be fun. And how would you like to do this, Molly?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. I would like us to just take probably just the first 42 verses. So John chapter 4. Verses one through forty two. And what we're gonna do is gonna read the whole thing in one time, and then after that, we'll go back and kind of unpack section by section and kind of reread it and then kind of give some input and have really good discussion. Okay. Because I think I think the most impactful one of the most impactful things for me in this story is realizing that the living Christ chose to reveal himself to this woman. And this is the first time that he does it. And it's just wild. So, all right, I won't get too far ahead. Sandy, why don't you go
1: ahead and read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Okay. And I'm going to be doing this um, out of the NIV, if you want to follow along. So, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come in them, a, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get uh, thirsty and have, have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. So Jesus said to her, "'You're right. When you say you have, you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is actually quite true. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem.' "'Woman,' Jesus replied, "'Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, It's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers." They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Wow. Don't you get chills just reading it? That's so much fun. And and I love to do it with like activating your imagination. Like, you know, what would it feel like? What would it be like? Yeah. How would it, you know, was it like dusty roads and a dry atmosphere and like what did the Samaritan woman, maybe what she looked like mm-hmm. and what was she doing, that sort of stuff. I like to, to picture uh, myself or uh, in the story. like. And so it's really, really helpful to use your imagination when you read these sort of things.
0: Yeah. So now let's just kind of go a little bit section by section and we'll read a little bit and then we'll stop and talk about it. But as we do this, I just want to piggyback off of that. If you can kind of get in a space where you can imagine what this would be like or imagine this setting. And with the contact with the context that, that Sandy gave of of this is a woman and this is a Samaritan, that's like a double whammy of outcast. Yeah. And the fact that you're not married, like all of these Things. She has got three things going yeah. against her. This is the lowest it's, of the low. It's
1: rough for her.
0: This is a, a, a woman who's really on the down and out. Yeah. So what I want to look at is just even if we just start back in verse one, John chapter four, and it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And then this next verse, it says, now he had to go through
1: Samaria. Um, he had to go through Samaria. So really, if you look on a map, if you want to go from the northern part of uh, Israel and you want to go down to Jerusalem, it's like a straight shot. You have to go through Samaria. But because of all the reasons we just listed about um, all this racial divide, um, like the, the good Jewish person would spend an extra two to three days to not do the straight line route, but actually to go around Samaria, they would take an extra two to three days in their walk. You know, well, that's a huge sacrifice. I mean, we're we're talking, they didn't have motorized transportation. So they're like, I mean, they're intent on the discrimination thing. They don't even want to come in contact with any Samaritans. And so they go way out of their way. So when it says in the word that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that was a choice of his own where he decided, let's go the straight route. We're going to confront all those discriminations and let's just go through Samaria because I've got an agenda. I've got a plan. He's confronting the religious uh, bigotry, the religious discrimination, the social and racial discrimination against Samaria. And so socially, he's going out of his way to meet this woman. So he's he really is going out of his way. The others are taking that two to three day route, but he's choosing in a social and spiritual connotation to go out of his way just to meet her. And I just really feel like, and uh, it's not, you know, in black and white here, but I I mean, he had a reason for going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it could have been that his reason, he knew that this woman, you know, he wanted to meet with this woman and have her encounter him and his love for her and that it would be a radical encounter. And and as you can, as we can see from reading the story, it totally rocked her world and changed her world. And And then it was a downhill effect. It didn't just affect her. It affected everybody in the, whole, the town. whole
0: town. And that's what I like about that. Just just in that verse four, now he had to go through Samaria. And if we can take that, that context of actually anyone would have been avoiding this town, would have been going out of their way to not go through this town. But instead, the king of the universe, Jesus, says, no, I'm going to make sure that I go through this town. I'm going to make sure that I'm going where they tell me not to go, where anyone in their right Jewish mindset Mm -hmm. would 100% not go. And I'm putting it here in the scripture that I have to go there. And then there's something
1: there. And it kind of makes you wonder too, like at this point, um, the disciples had probably been with Jesus for a, a little while. We don't really know the context, but so what if you were like one of the disciples and you've grown up as in the, in the Jewish system and you, and so you under, like, you understand those little social laws about what you do and don't do. Yeah. And, and then your, your teacher says, Hey, we're going through Samaria and you're like, you just, you kind of wonder like, what are they thinking? The teacher said we had to go through Samaria. Why in right. the heck would we want to... Everybody knows you don't go through Samaria. You know, I don't know if there's that kind of dialogue going in, in between yeah. with the, the guys and the, the disciples. I mean, it could be.
0: That'd be like in modern day age, like we're going to this beautiful oasis but hold on just a second we're gonna make a detour <laughs> at the trash dump yeah you know what i mean yeah like that's what
1: <laughs> that's probably what went through their head something similar like
0: something like like what why are we going there yeah. okay so then it picks up and it says so we came to a town in samaria called sakar near the plot of ground jacob had given to his son joseph and then it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an important detail. Explain that. That's
0: an important detail. So uh, what I really love about this is you also see where it says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Just in that little section, you get the humanity of Jesus. Like this is someone who's fully God, yet fully man. And so if you can imagine that you've been traveling all this time, like, man, our Savior got tired. Mm -hmm. Like, our Savior, the King of the universe, put on humanity and put on the form of servanthood in, in flesh, and His flesh got tired just like we do. And yet... Even though he was tired, he still went. Mm-hmm. Even though knowing that it was going to be out of his way, knowing it was going to be hot, knowing all of these things, he went. And it says it was about noon. And so noon o'clock, what is noon o'clock? It's the hottest part of the entire day.
1: And just, you know, this part of Israel is, is it's very much like, not the full on cactus ridden uh, desert sort of thing like we see in New Mexico, Arizona. But I mean, it's wilderness and there's mm-hmm. just not a lot of green. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. So to be out at noon, and that's the hottest time of the day. Who in the heck wants to be out there at noon? Right. No one's going to be there. So you think so, but that's a significant detail. Yeah. So
0: then, because then whenever we keep going, keep in mind, it's noon, it's the hottest part of the day. And the story picks up in verse seven, when it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink?
1: Yeah, so that's a Pops. big deal because, I mean, usually um, the women who are, they're the ones that do all the household chores. I mean, they obviously didn't have any running water, so they had to go to the well. So a, um, they're going to the well. Most people would want to go not in the heat of the day. They'd want to go early morning and or in the evening and avoid the whole heat of the day thing. So there's a, there's a reason. So, like, we have to consider that really small detail that it was noon It was about noon. You got four boards there. Mm -hmm. So why is a woman like at the well where usually there would be a ton of people there in the morning and the evening? So why did she choose to come at noon? Because she didn't want to be around anyone. I mean,
0: and I know that uh, like a lot of like in the well, like wells represent community and life and talking and social Like socialization, like a lot of this in biblical times happened around the well, because like you said, they're in the middle of the wilderness and it's hot and there's all kinds of things going on, but... This woman, she clearly didn't want to be with anyone. She wasn't trying to go have social hour in the middle of the day. You know, she wasn't trying to go at six o'clock with the rest of her herd to like have socialization at the water fountain. Like, this was a woman who didn't want to see anyone. She didn't want to be around anyone. She didn't want to make conversation. She was isolating. She was saying, no, it's just like whenever we choose. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I know. I'm not trying to go to the grocery store in the middle of the time that everyone else is at the grocery store. Like if I don't want to talk to anyone or do anything with anyone, I'm going to go. I mean, I'm going to go at midnight. I'm going to go to the grocery store at midnight Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. So I don't have to be around anyone. Right. And this is kind of the equivalent of that because she's choosing in the most miserable part of the day, she would rather be miserably hot and miserably tired and separated from society
1: and go at noon. So something's going on in her so, life and in her mind. So
0: we know, right, that there's something. There's a shame on her because what does shame and fear make us do? Isolate. Isolate. And so and we, protect yourself. And, right. So we know by the fact that she's there at noon that she's covered in shame and that she doesn't want to talk to anyone. Okay. And then y'all get this (laughs) because then once once she's there jesus is the one who says will you give me a drink and just like we talked about before he's fully god he's fully god yet fully man how do how does this even work out do you know what i mean so yeah so i mean
1: he's choosing to live life as a human he's He's choosing choosing to live like life just like me and you would.
0: Yes, but this is a man who's going to bring miracles. This is a man who turns water into wine. This Uh is a man who, who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, really, and he's asking her for a drink. Does he really actually need her to give him a drink? No. No.
1: He could do anything he wants. He could do
0: anything he wants. So then why? What is the significance of this question? Why does he say to the lowest of low people to first, not only a Samaritan, second, she's a woman, third, she's not married. And why does he ask her this question? I wonder if it's a relational thing. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. It's out of relationship. That he wants to start the conversation. He wants to engage with her. He wants her to be taken aback by this question and get her mind thinking, what is even happening? Like this would be like if you were living, I don't know, if unfortunately, if you were living on the streets or if you were living as an outcast and the president of the United States <laughs> came up to you and says, Sandy, will you give me a drink yeah. of water, and you're like, I'm sorry, aren't you the president of the United States? Yeah. Like, don't even secret service and what like it'd be that kind of level of like, Yeah, this is who's talking to me? Okay. Well, she doesn't get that, but he says, Will you give me a drink? And then it picks up in verse nine, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans.
1: And there it is in black and white. That That's the racial divide of that time. But it's also, it's, it's, I mean, it's just barely touching on the subject, really. Because mm-hmm. it's like you said, not only is there that racial thing of Jew versus Samaritan, but there's also the man versus woman thing. That This is just barely touching the surface when they say this. But it does say in black and white, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's sort of like the text is saying... Jesus, didn't you know you're not supposed to be talking to her? Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And isn't it interesting then, but how much this text really wants us to see how Jesus, the king of the world, crosses
1: crosses those lines.
0: He merges, you know, he wants to bring people together, not divide people apart. Yes. So when he's doing this by talking to a woman, by talking to a Samaritan, by even engaging in a conversation with her, he's extending the peace and saying there is not the there's not these individual boundaries that we're all one humanity yes i mean and this is what he's trying to get at and we'll see that later whenever we talk about worship so then after we get that she's all like how can you even talk to me because i'd like i'm a samaritan woman like this is not okay what's going on here's how jesus answers her picks up in verse 10 he says If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Pause. What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, that's what the woman's thinking too, because like, that's not your everyday language. That's not your everyday conversation. Like, hi, how are you? What's your name? And what do you do? This is like, like out of the blue. So you know that at this point her head is spinning and she's probably going, huh? Yeah. And she's trying to, to like, put it all together, like, I don't understand.
0: First off, why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. You're already about a thousand pillars up on the social hierarchy. Two, now you're trying to offer me something? What are you even saying right now? Yeah. Like, it'd be like, what? Either you're a crazy person or you're brilliant. Like, yeah. which one is it? Like I can just imagine that kind of confusion and that level of like, what? And here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about this. Because... If you see that he started it with a question, Mm -hmm. Jesus asked her for something, not needing anything. He doesn't need anything. He's God. And he says, will you give me a drink? And he asked her a question, knowing that one, she's not going to give him anything. And two, with every intention of giving her everything. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's actually what he wanted to do. And is that not what he does in our lives? Is that not what he does for me and for you that he says, Molly, Sandy, will you give me this?
1: But he really doesn't have anything to gain. But he
0: doesn't have anything to gain from it. He doesn't actually need anything that we have, but he wants us to engage in that conversation with him and say, will you give me this? Because I actually have every intention of giving you everything when you engage with me in relationship. And this is what we see here. If you knew the gift of God and knew it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I can't even wrap my mind around it. (laughs) He does nothing to gain by what we offer him. And yet, here we are. He wants to give. He
1: wants to. And he wants to bless.
0: Yes. Every time. Okay. So then he asks, or he says this to her. And then the woman said, sir, (laughs) you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep.
1: Where can you get this living water? Pause right there. So just a small detail. So wells at the time, like it wasn't like our typical thinking, um, especially as being as Amer- Americans that have no concept of, because we have running water and yeah. to turn the sink on. So at the time they had wells, but they like, you'd had no bucket just sitting there at the well. You had to bring your own bucket. Really? Yeah. <laughs> B-Y-O-B. <laughs> <laughs> so like how this interaction is going is actually really true. So she is curious, like, hey even though it doesn't really follow in the context of what he's saying. She's kind of, she, I think she's buying time trying to gather her thoughts, but she's really got a legitimate point like, hey, Jesus, you, you don't have a bucket. Like, how do you, you know, how are you planning on getting this water sort of thing? And that's yeah. really true. So she had to provide her bucket. So now, so big, big picture story for a second. In Old Testament times, the thought was, um, in Jewish law, and you'll see it all through the Old Testament uh, laws and everything. Is that the thought is that dirty something dirty or unclean can contaminate you? Yeah. And so that was a a huge deal, and like a lot of the Jewish laws are based on that theory that something can contaminate you and make you dirty and make you unclean, which is like the effects of like the big picture of sin can enter your life, and you know God yeah. would see that sin and it's not a good thing. That sort of thought was going on. And Jesus knew this. So he, like in his head, he's going to Samaria. He knows he's going to Samaria probably to meet this woman. And he's crossing all those barriers. And the barriers being that something unclean is over there that's going to contaminate you, the person. Mm. But he doesn't care.
0: He doesn't care.
1: And so uh, not only is he entering into that racial divide and into that into that male versus female divide, that something can contaminate him He's breaking all the rules Mm -hmm. and he's, he's making this, this is the beginning of the statement that's that's reversing everything from the old Testament where he's saying um, that I am God and nothing can touch me. And so you can be dirty or that thing can be dirty or that thing can be unclean and it's never going to affect me because I'm going to affect you. Wow. Even down to like the bucket. So as a Jewish person, he should never be touching um, that bucket because she's a woman and she's a Samaritan that he didn't have a bucket. Yeah, and yet he was asking her for asking the drink for water. So yeah. already that it's being set up that he in order to drink that drink, he's going to have to touch the bucket which is mm. technically unclean and and maybe even touch her which is technically unclean, but that doesn't matter because he is he's God in person and instead of things um contaminating over, him overpowering him and contaminating him, he is all powerful. He's going to Affects everything. He, the The power surge is going to go the other way from him to her or him to the other person. Wow. So it's like a complete reversal of everything of the Old Testament. Yeah. So now Jesus has brought in this new way of doing things where instead of the outside world contaminating him or the outside world contaminating us as followers of Jesus, we have Jesus where we we bring the power of jesus onto that unclean thing or that broken thing or that thing needing redemption it's and the power the power goes the other way Mm. and you're just beginning to see that in the story
0: that's so good so i like also then whenever she says that whole conversation you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep one it's just true but two you also see how she's still thinking uh human right like She's still like, what do you even talk about? Like she doesn't even address. I think she's
1: buying time. Yeah. Because she doesn't know that that was a really, these are some really odd conversations we're having. Like living know. water? I need some, I need a minute here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like the nervous chatter, you know, yes. when you get
0: nervous and you just start talking.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us his well and drank from it himself, added also as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's really just like, who are you? Are you greater than Jacob? Like, are you greater than the people who even built this thing? Like, she
1: still can't quite wrap her mind about what's really going on. But that's, that's a, and that's an important question. And you have to remember the Samaritans are half Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you remember in the old, in the New Testament, like, especially Matthew, he like lists all the genealogy. Yeah. So his, like your ancestors in the Jewish world are super important. Big deal. It's a big deal because it proves that you're Jewish. And it could prove which tribe you're from, blah, 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 blah. So actually, I mean, she's kind of showing a little bit of that context here. Like, yeah. in her partly Jewish world, you know, your ancestors really do matter. I feel we like can't like hardly understand that, you know.
0: In my imagination, she says it a little bit like, sassy. Like, are you greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> and She
1: could have been, yeah. Right? Like, who are
0: you to be offering me things and trying to come talk to me? Yeah. Like, with a little bit of that sass. Yeah. so. Okay. So then we pick up in John 4, this is verse 13 now. It says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life.
1: What? (laughs) Like, and I bet that Florida, she's probably like,
0: what? How do you have what? eternal life? What is even happening right now? Yeah, exactly. So then then she gets excited.
1: But so, I think it's interesting, and I don't mean to interrupt, but... Yeah. So Jesus, in a, in a one of his names is called the living, you know, Jesus is the living water, but mm-hmm. also is a picture out of Revelation, where out of the throne room of God, which is where Jesus is, there's a river of living water that comes out of his throne that that is life-giving in every sense of the word, like... I mean, um, the river comes out of the throne room and it's in, an, it's in a garden setting. So you see these pictures, uh, uh, demonstrations of life that has abundance. And then there's the, the tree of life on either side of the river of the of, of living water. So I think there's a, a little bit of a reference there um, pointing to that future book of Revelation, a future yeah. prophecy. So that's a little bit of a prophetic statement, too.
0: And that this is who, like, if you can imagine, then it, that's who he's telling. Like, he's telling the secrets of the throne room to somebody who's to considered a nobody. Yeah, like that's who he's choosing. You know,
1: Jesus, the one who hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. That one,
0: like, out of it, out of anyone, that again, I feel like that'd be like the president of the United States walking up to me and being like, "Here's all the governmental secrets. <laughs> like, yeah. here's what's going on." But that's what he's doing is he's revealing his government to this to this nobody woman. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing, even though she's not even fully getting it. Yeah. He's still choosing to tell her. So then, so then after he says this, right, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Uh-huh. And then it says Verse the, 15. Verse 15, it says, the woman said to him. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. So she's water. still
1: thinking on the whole. She's still thinking physically, physical surface level, and it could be buying time because I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Right? Who knows? You know.
0: But at least now she's like, okay, if you're saying you're going to give me something so I won't get thirsty, then go ahead and give it to me. Yeah. Like I'm tired of coming here. As you can tell, I'm trying to isolate. <laughs> so if I had this living water, I wouldn't have to keep coming here in the, to begin with. Yeah. So then verse 16 picks up and it says Jesus told her, "Go call your husband and come back." Now. Okay, let's keep going and then we'll say now. Okay. So then verse 17 says, "I have no husband," she which is, replied. Just you know, kind
1: of a kind of a truth, sort of a not so true. Right.
0: It's like a half yeah. not a half truth, but it's like I'm going to tell you a little bit but not yeah, tell you everything. And so then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So let's pause right
1: there. And he could have been all over that as a as a, uh, a Jewish rabbi type person who knows all the laws. He could have been all over the fact and like, yeah. what kind of woman are you? I can't believe it. And, you know, real condemning and everything. But he wasn't. Uh-uh. And
0: this is what I like is, Is like, And he's so, because he's so relational, I mean, the fact that he says, go call your husband and come back, even though he already knows all these things about her, but he wants her to engage Engage in in this conversation. conversation, And then, so whenever she's like, "Um, I have no husband and I love this because this is still honesty before him. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she didn't have to say, she could have gone and said, no, no, no. I have like, okay, yeah, I'll go call my husband. Like when he says go call your husband and come back, she didn't have to say that she didn't have a husband. She could have hidden. And I want to bring this point up because I know I'm um, just for a second. I'm going to tie this to our Journey of Restoration CPRE course. And in the Dr. Lord talks about in connection with our self, how we have to bring our whole self to mm-hmm. the table before the Lord. Mm-hmm. How we have to come in truth of everything that we have and lay it out before God. And whenever we don't, what we're doing is we put on this mask Uh and we put on this false self. And then we start living under this false self and we never feel really known. And we can't ever really know anyone because we're hiding. And then we'll dress it up with a smile or we'll dress it up and pretending and it doesn't work out. And so in this, what's happening is she chooses, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman is choosing to be honest before God. Even if she doesn't go into the full details Mm -hmm. yet, she's still saying, I have no husband. Whenever she had a choice here and her choice could have been to cover and to pretend that she did and to walk away, but she doesn't.
1: Ah, yeah, that's a big deal. Like, this is incredible. That's a super good point, Molly, about, I mean, that God just wants us to be honest with him and honest with ourselves. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's super, really, really good.
0: And so then, then right after that, he said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So now he, get this, you guys, now Jesus is telling her
1: about her. Okay, so now it's it's kind of a word of knowledge. Right. Proph- pro- prophetic This is a sort prophetic
0: thing. moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is whenever God is speaking, when God starts to speak to you about you, that he shouldn't have known otherwise. Why? Because he's a Jew. He's not from there. He's a man. He's a teacher. Why would he know any of this? This is a prophetic moment. So then, I know it gets so good. (laughs) So then uh, verse 19 picks up and she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Pause. What? (laughs) So she's like, okay, you just told me about me, all of my hidden secrets, all of my shame, all of my things. Like you just brought it to the table. I can see you're a prophet. Like clearly, you know something here and I can tell that you're You've got something going on. And so now I'm going to like, now I'm going to get into a conversation with you about theology. Yeah. Like, that's where her mind goes. It's like, okay, now that you've proved to me through this word of knowledge about my life that you're a prophet, the thing that I want to talk about is this barrier. Are these barrier divides in theology about what... Jews believe in what Samaritans believe. And the question is going to be, where are we supposed to worship?
1: But I wonder if that's the hole in her head. And we'll never know, you know, what she's thinking at this this very moment. But I wonder if in her head, she's like, I wonder if this guy's a messiah, but I'm I'm not 100% on that. I'm, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if that's like starting to come through her head. Probably. So then after she
0: realizes that clearly he's... I mean, he's not just a prophet, obviously, but as she's starting to think this, then Jesus says in verse 21, woman, Jesus replied. he still talks to her about the thing that she brings up. Uh So like he could have said, Hey, that's not the point of this conversation right now. (laughs) Yeah, Like, but he doesn't, he's kind. Yeah. He's like, okay, you can see like, she's like, I can see that you're a prophet. You just told me everything about me. And what I want to do now is have a theological debate. Yeah. Yeah. And rather than him condemning her and saying, no, like this isn't why I'm here. You're so bad. Here's this isn't what I've come to talk about. He engages with her Mm -hmm. and he's, once again sharing the secrets of the kingdom yeah because what does it mean Sandy? I know that you love this part
1: yeah I do and, and there's a there's several things going on in here um one is that like she's she's bringing up the whole thing about where we worship God and that's important yeah because at that time a, a Jewish person or a person who believes in God would worship where God was and the place where God was at that time and all the you know, hundreds of years prior, was in the temple. And so a temple, the definition of a, of a temple is a meeting place between a, a human and God himself. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just think this kind of follows in her mind, where she's like, she's probably wondering, is this guy really the Messiah? Well, I mean, we're supposed to worship God, we're supposed to worship in a temple. Yeah. And so that that's starting to come up in her head. So she's really got a valid point here. Like, well, where do we, you know, where are we supposed, are to, we worship supposed to worship? It? If you're the Messiah, I mean, so she's... If she's, you're a prophet, then where are we supposed to do this, really? Yeah. And so, and that's that. and this is a good point too, because like Jesus, we see the story, this interaction between Jesus and the woman. And so as as Jesus's story continues in the New Testament, he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins and he's resurrected again. And then he and he comes back to his followers and says... Um, that I'm going to give you, you know, a helper, my spirit. And so that whole, the gospel story of the cross and the resurrection, what that does is it changes the place where God will meet us. Mm-hmm. And it changes it from that building of the temple in Jerusalem, you know, that physical place where God would meet humans. And because of the gospel message, now every single follower of Jesus is the temple. Wow. Wow. And so he's starting to he's starting to kind of allude to that in this interaction with her where he's saying um, he's speaking truth that, yes, salvation comes from the Jews because that's how it's been designed over the hundreds of years. And he's fulfilling that prophecy because he is Jewish, but he's about to change the whole system. And so the system changing from that meeting place of a building to Mm -hmm. now we are the temples, every single one of us we're the meeting place between human and God. And, and he's so he's starting it. to do that. Yeah.
0: Like of all the people, again, that he would start to even reveal to. And he would reveal to, it to somebody
1: like, had hey, they classified as the sinner and the tax collector. right? You know, this, then yeah. That's a big deal.
0: This is who he wants to
1: share his kingdom with. <laughs> and so, you know, then the question was, would kind of be like, well, how come he didn't reveal that to the religious people at the time, the Pharisees and the, you know, what I mean, the whole church yeah. system thing. But he wa- he wants relationship with all mm. of us. He doesn't want it to be for the elite or the most educated. I mean, those are all good things, but I mean, he wants it for everybody. everyone. And so he goes to the, what would be considered the lowest of the low, that she would represent all of us. Yeah that it doesn't matter where we are in life. He wants to have that relationship. He wants to have that constant conversation mm-hmm. and he wants to be the meeting. He wants us to carry that meeting place between himself and, and us.
0: Because we can all relate to her in some way.
1: Yes. You know what I mean? So, so it's a big deal. And then uh, the other thing on here is that, um, that the father wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's a really big deal. The, So the part about worshiping in the spirit that there's a couple different things. Number one is that, like we're body, soul, and spirit as Mm -hmm. as people, and so what he's saying is he like Jesus and the Father want all of us, all of our spirit, everything within us, which kind of goes back to what you're saying that. To be honest before God and be honest before ourselves, like to give it all to Him, mm-hmm. and so there's that connotation that He wants all of it, and it's, and it's a good thing. Like He wants relationship, and He wants to, to um, you know, cleanse us from all those things that hurt us, which we call sin, and and that sort of thing. And but then also in the Bible, that when it says God is Spirit and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit, that's a capital S Spirit. Hmm. which also means that we we worship through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So when I mentioned earlier that when Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. he went to the cross and he had the resurrection, and now he's talking to his disciples after the resurrection. he's He said, I'm giving you my spirit, my helper. And so in the goodness and kindness of God and, the, and Jesus, he's given us this helper, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit's going to help you worship God and Jesus better and more clearly and to hear his voice and to walk with him every single day. And then when he says, worship in the spirit and in truth, when you uh, start worshiping God with the help of the Holy Spirit and you give all of yourself to him, he's going to reveal himself to you. He's going to reveal himself in the written word, in the scriptures, and that's truth. Yeah. And the truth... Will set you free. Exactly. So it's, uh, So it's, 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 it's really beautiful.
0: So then... You have Jesus and he's just revealed all of, I like to call it secret kingdom stuff that isn't a secret anymore, right? But at the time, it's like, what, like flipping everyone's world upside down. Mm -hmm. And he's revealing it to this woman and tells her, they get into this theological discussion about where you're supposed to worship. And he gives her all these secrets. And then it picks up in verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So after Jesus just told her all these things, she's like, Okay, here's the thing. You just said all that, you just told me all those things. And I know that the Messiah, when he gets here, he's gonna really like flush this out. Mm -hmm. He's really gonna like tell us everything that you just said. Yeah. And so when he's coming, he'll just explain it. And this is my favorite line. After this, verse 26 is my favorite line in the whole maybe the whole Bible. I don't mm-hmm. know yet. But it says, "Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am
1: he." Isn't that amazing?
0: And don't you just feel that that he's choosing to reveal himself fully? And this is the first time in scripture that it's done. Like yeah. she like she's the first one. Yes. That gets revealed to as the kingdom that God could have gone to anyone mm-hmm. and he didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the, any of the religious teachers at the time or the people who are keeping the law or anything right. like that. He chooses to reveal himself to the lowly Mm -hmm. He chooses to reveal Himself to the nobody, to the people that need Him. And we can all relate to this at some level. There are places in our lives that we all feel inadequate, and then we all feel like we don't measure up and that we're not getting it. And there's areas of our lives where we feel like we're outcasts and that we don't know enough or we're not doing enough. Or there's areas in our life that we feel this shame that was never supposed to be there. And what does God do with that? He reveals Himself. Mm -hmm. In spirit and in truth. Like, are you seeing it?
1: Yeah, that's amazing. can't get away from this. Yeah, that's amazing. And the other, you know, the other thing, the other small thing, too. So it says, like you just read, then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. And so, um, you know, it kind of is as harkens back to when God talked to Moses. Mm -hmm. The I am. I am. You know, God, I mean, yeah, Moses said, you know, I'm going to the, you're sending me to the Pharaohs. Who am I supposed to say is sending me? Like, I don't even know your name, you know, kind of that yeah. sort of context. And God says, I am. I am. It's And he doesn't even have any any word after the word am. I am. Like, mm-hmm. who was and is and is to come. That sort of context. I am. Yeah. And wow, you can sort of see that here. I wish that uh, this was actually written in Hebrew, and then we could might be able to see if it was the same exact word, but the New Testament's in Greek. But Jesus is is referring, he could be referring to that. Like, I told Moses my name, and my name was I Am. Mm -hmm. And that's my name to you, Samaritan woman, I Am. Ah! (laughs) Spanning over thousands of years, you know? Yes. I mean, it's crazy.
0: So then it picks up in verse 27. It says, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman,
1: which is probably a vast understatement right They're like probably sur- blown away mm-hmm.
0: but no one asks no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her so no one asked anything like that
1: well, I think why it, I kind of I just kind of wonder that Like all through the time that the disciples were with Jesus, he kept breaking the rules, breaking the, like doing things in an unusual way, not doing things like the other rabbis and all the other religious, like breaking the rule. And so his constant message is like, I'm doing things different. Yeah. I'm doing things differently. Hey, pay attention. I'm doing things differently. So I'm just wondering if this, at this point they're like, oh my gosh. He's doing it again. Here he goes he's, again. He's breaking the whole rule thing. <laughs> and you, you kind of wonder if that's going through their mind. And their their mouth is probably kind of dro- you know dropped open with the jaw on the ground kind of yeah. thing. Like, oh my gosh, what is he? He's, first of all, we're in Samaria. And now he's talking to a woman. What is happening? He's crossed all sorts of lines. You just yeah. kind of wonder if that went through their head.
0: So then it says, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar. Her her reaction. Yeah. Oh yeah, the woman's reaction. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Pause. Here's what I want to point out in verse 28 when it says, then leaving her water jar. So you just said, Sandy, that you had to take your water jar, right? The whole reason that she's even there Mm -hmm. was to go get water, which means that there's an exchange that happened here. This is the exchange. Whenever she did, she left her water jar. She left her shame bucket is what I like to think of it as. She left the whole reason while she was there at the hottest part of the day. She puts it on the ground at the feet of Jesus and takes him up on this living water offer. Mm -hmm. She takes it. And what what does she do in response to taking the living water? She drops everything. She drops everything. She drops that bucket. She says, I'm not going to do this anymore. I just think it's such a symbolic act. Like, why would it say then leaving her water jar if it wasn't important? Mm -hmm. Like, they want us to know that she left it there, the very reason why she was even there. Because when God speaks to us, we drop everything. We drop all the shame and all the fear and all the whatever. Whatever that's holding us back from doing what we're called to do, and we leave it at his feet. Yeah. And instead, we take the thing that he was offering us all along. Because as we know, he's always giving. And then, and then she does something just radical. (laughs) She runs into the town, in my mind, says she went back to the town. I just imagine her running and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She's going to the very town that she was trying to avoid. Yeah, that's true. She's a woman. (laughs) She's a woman and she's a Samaritan woman and she's talking about the Messiah? What? This is a nobody, like you said. And
1: and nobody had to teach her to do that. No one. This is a, like, it's a reaction, like, it's a no-brainer reaction that she's having. She's had this encounter, like a life-changing encounter. With Jesus. Yeah, this is her response. And this is her natural response. She didn't have to be taught this. Mm -mm. She didn't say, you know, she didn't go to the four-year college to learn how to do it. She didn't even, like, she barely had probably any education, but she ran to town and she tells everybody what he did with the question, could this be the Messiah?
0: I mean, and this is the, this is the woman who still doesn't even know where to worship. (laughs) You know, so it's not like she has all the answers to all of these questions. That's
1: That's right. All she knows is how God's encountered her. And that's the same. It's the same thing today. Yeah. And so the the argument that, you know, all the like you can't have those sort of encounters with Jesus. That was only a first century thing. It's the same today Mm -hmm. in that when Jesus speaks into the depth of your heart. And when you have that encounter, a miraculous encounter with Him, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be taught it. It's not an an academic knowledge exercise thing. It's like a heart issue. It's a total change in you from the inside out. It's miraculous, and it still happens today. It
0: has nothing to do with how where you've studied academically. Right. It has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status. Nothing. It's just an encounter with God. That's right. So...
1: And then the people's reaction?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's skip down.
1: What does verse say?
0: Verse 30. Oh, verse 30. Yes. It says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So now she's influenced all these people. Right. And so if you skip down then to um, verse 39. Yes. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Right. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the savior of the world.
1: Now what if she hadn't told them? She hadn't told them? So all those people would not know Christ and they would, they would be dying and going to hell. So just because she had a natural reaction to this encounter with Christ, she ran and told her neighbors in the town. They're hungry to to know what in the heck she's talking about. Is this guy really the true the the deal? And so they go out there to find him. So they're they're acting on their hunger for him, and they were they were eternally impacted because of her story.
0: And it's one sentence. Yes. It's not this big, long, drawn-out thing. It's, come here a man who told me everything I ever did. Like, what makes that one sentence so powerful that it would get an entire town to come to know Christ? And that one sentence, because it was authentic, because it met her, because it's her testimony. Yeah. All she had to do was tell what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's power in that. Mm-hmm. When we just start proclaiming the things that God has done in us, there's a power in that, that that's how God uses and mobilizes his people. She didn't stand up there and give a eight point yeah. sermon. She just doesn't even know where she's supposed to worship, <laughs> much less anything else. Yeah. And she's been this outcast forever. And yet there's power behind what she's saying and not power to where then people are looking towards her, but then to where it stirs up that hunger. She's
1: pointing people to him. She's
0: pointing people to him. And she stirs up and ignites that hunger in them that then they're like, whoa, this is so radically different. This woman was not even socializing with us and was, you know, we think that she's kind of trash. And yet here she is running down the mountain yelling. That something's happened to her.
1: Yeah, and shouldn't that be our response? Exactly. And and it's out of the and it's and it also it's out of the kindness of Jesus. So we back up the story. He chose to come to Samaria. Yeah, I mean, it, this was not a chance encounter, right? By any means, he chose to meet her, and it had a downhill effect. Where it, and it, like, and this is just the tip of the story where her encounter radical encounter with jesus where he, where he changes her from the inside out with with that encounter and she goes and tells her neighbors and friends and yeah. they come and find they they want to see it too yeah so they go out and have a radical encounter with jesus wow. Wow. and and tell tell them the the listeners the rest of the story with this woman
0: oh yeah 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 so then it's not even that from a historical point of view they, She would actually end up going and preaching in a lot of towns around with a whole little group of people and then would end up actually giving her life because she'd be imprisoned by the Romans and she ends up being beheaded.
1: Yeah. So the story behind her is her name actually in history is, is Fotini. Fotini. Yeah. And so she had this radical encounter with Jesus that changed everything, everything for her. So she gets some of her uh, family members. I think it was three or four different family members and ends up going to, uh, I think it was North Africa and ended up in Rome where she, like she became an evangelist. Yeah. The long and the short She's of it.
0: She's the first evangelist. Yes. And it's a woman and it's, it's a, a woman Samaritan woman of all who people. Who comes from
1: a like what would be considered a questionable background, all sorts of levels where that's racial or um, she's had five husbands or, you right. know, and whatever that reason is, she's carrying shame, all those things. And she becomes an evangelist and changes thousands of people's lives for mm-hmm. the kingdom. Here's the thing. What I really love
0: about this story is you see two kind of different responses to where you're getting your identity from or where your reference point is. Because when this woman, she knew about herself, she knew her story because she lived it, right? And when she knew all of the horrible things or whatever, sinful things or life that she was living in, when she consulted her own self and feelings and whatever, it led to shame and it led to hiding. And when God, when God told her about her, it brought freedom. And that's what I love about this is when we tell ourselves about ourselves, we hide and we run. (laughs) Yeah. But when we bring it before the Lord honestly, and he tells us about us, it brings freedom. Yeah. And then it's like, oh my gosh, let me go do what I'm called to do. That's not my identity. Like I
1: just had the king of the universe reveal himself to me. So what she had before with the shame and the condemnation, you're saying that was not her identity. That
0: was not her identity. And she was wearing that identity like it was, but it wasn't because she was meant to change the world. And she certainly did. And she did. And if God knit her in her mother's womb forever ago, knowing what she would accomplish, and then would send Jesus to reveal himself to her, and in response to him revealing himself and knowing that... The links that he's gone to to reveal himself to her. In response, she goes and she does exactly what she's called to do and lives in the fullness of who she's
1: called to be. And she's and she, as you said earlier, represents all of us. All of us. And so each one of us has a calling and a destiny that God, when He created us, put inside of us. Yes. And that's that was activated and made made you know to completion and fullness in her life when she encountered Christ. And then.
0: Let's think about this. How this applies to us for just a second. We're all the Samaritan woman. We're all her. Mm-hmm. In the links that God went to, the links that Jesus went to, to reveal Himself to us. He crucified. Mm-hmm. He's crucified. His innocence crucified, and he was, he was beaten. And tortured and mocked and spit on and crucified. That's the links that he went to for us. If we're all her and we can think about the things that he's done to one, tell us about us, and then two, reveal the secrets of the kingdom to us, and then three, reveal himself to us, then our response should be just like this.
1: Yeah, that's true. Should be to drop our bucket. And wholeheartedness. An honest, yes. like whole, giving of their whole heart. And it should be the same with us. We should be giving our whole heart to Jesus. Yes. Where he changes us from the inside out and gives us his identity of what he thinks about us.
0: And we drop whatever we are carrying that got us there. And we receive the living water that he's offering. And we go and we run with it. And we go tell people what happened.
1: Yeah. And so I the quote is, uh well, what they think the early church believes that she spent time with the the, with the apostles in the early church, calls the actual quote is equal to the apostles. Mm. Can you imagine what a leap? I mean, from a woman who is like avoiding everybody in the middle of the day because of yeah. a questionable past—we don't know what that is—and and then she had this interaction with Jesus, and she goes from that to being equal to the apostles. Yeah, that's that's radical. But it's it's not like the one lone event that happened, and it's. It's this it can be the same way with each one of us.
0: Yeah. So good. And that's what he does. I mean, she was, man, five husbands. You know, we can already we can just kind of gather what that means from our perspective. Like it doesn't matter the things that have happened to us or the things that we've done. Like none of that matters whenever we stand before the Lord and He tells us about us and we choose to turn from that and go do what we're called to do.
1: Mm -hmm. (sighs)
0: Oh. (laughs) <laughs> this is so good so i'm gonna do a short little recap and then sandy if you have any final thoughts freedom to just
1: yeah, add I'm really good i think this has been an amazing story i love this story and i know it's it's the most favorite story that you have molly it is most impactful in your life but i mean there's just so much there's so much richness to the story that applies to us today yeah. it's not just some little history story or something you blaze through in the Bible. It's really impactful if you just look at it and, and then have a discussion with Jesus based on this, as you read this story. Mm -hmm. So then here's what I'm hearing is that if you're
0: someone who can relate at all to the Samaritan woman, who's felt like a nobody who's felt like an outcast, who's hidden in shame or hidden in fear that Jesus himself God himself went out of his way to find you, that he's pursuing you, that he took on the cross for you, and he wants to exchange something. He's asking you for a drink, meaning he's asking you for your uncleanliness. He's asking you for the dirty, hidden things that's inside of you. He's asking for that. And he says, in return, I want to give you living water. That that will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That eternal life starts now. Eternal life doesn't start when we're dead, but it starts right now. And that he wants to give you something. And as you receive from him, even if you don't have all the answers and you don't know how this works, but you know how God's moved in your life, then in response that there's a real call to go and to tell Come here, man who told me everything I ever did, that there's power in your testimony. For those who are sitting on your testimony thinking that it's not impactful, I'm here to tell you that there's not a hierarchy of testimony, that the miracle is all the same, that we were once dead and now we're alive. That's the miracle. That's all of our stories and people need to hear it. So if that's you, that you know what God's done for you, then to go and share that. So Jesus, I just thank you for these listeners. Jesus, I ask for a boldness and a courage to step out in faith and do what they're called to do. Jesus, we ask that you would reveal what you're asking from them. Lord, what are you asking them to lay down at your feet? And what are you giving them in exchange? And Jesus, I ask that you speak clearly to their spirits Lord, that you guide them that you show them the people that they're called to impact or where they're supposed to go or take their story to next. And I thank you that it's everywhere that we go. So Lord, I ask that you just bless them and keep them in Jesus name. All right, you guys, thanks Amen. for listening. Amen. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.